it is illegal uh, in one state in the southeast uh, for a driver of a motor vehicle to be blindfolded while driving. <laughs> did, did you know they had to write that law? Here, here's one that is, is vital and important. Is, is it, it is within the state of Tennessee illegal uh, to wear a fake mustache that causes laughter in church. <laughs> so I'm looking around. I don't know that any of them are fake, but none of them are causing laughter. You know, in, uh, in Georgia, it is illegal uh, to have an ice cream cone in your back pocket on Sunday morning. In Pensacola, it is illegal to be caught downtown without at least $10 on your person. In Gainesville, Georgia, it is required that you use a knife and fork every time you eat chicken. In Tennessee, it's illegal to use a lasso to catch fish. In Memphis, Tennessee, careful about laughing at this one. In Memphis, Tennessee, it is illegal for a woman to drive a car unless there is a man running or walking in front of it, waving a red flag, warning approaching motorists and pedestrians. Y'all weren't careful at all. In Georgia, it is illegal to keep a donkey in a bathtub. And in Georgia, it is illegal to hunt on Sunday, punishable by fine up to $100 and three months in jail. So keep that in mind. These, these horse and buggy laws, you start thinking about how, how good are we at keeping those? Keeping the, the, the stacks and stacks of laws, even laws that have been on the books that, you know, if, if you did indeed have a fake mustache here this Sunday morning, I don't think we could get a court to convict you. And I'm not going to inspect any of you to see if you have an ice cream cone in your back pocket. When it comes to law, uh, we, we so often look at that and say, is this really a law? Is this a real legal law? Is this something I'm required to do? Well, interesting question that comes to Jesus in our account today. One of the scribes, again, someone who was an expert in the law, comes to Jesus. He has heard what has, has happened. Jesus' response and discussion uh, with those who've come before. He's heard uh, the way the Sadducees were dealt with when we uh, talked just uh, last week. Um, about the resurrection and who's married to who, uh, about paying taxes to Caesar, that sort of thing. So the scribe comes and asks Jesus this very simple question with regard to the law. Let's read together. This is Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 28. One of the scribes came near. He heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that Jesus answered them well, he asked him, which commandment is the first of all? And Jesus answered, the first is... Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Well, then the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and besides them there is no other. And to love him with all our heart and with all the understanding, with all our strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself, that is much more important than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far off from the kingdom of God. After that, no one dared to ask him a question. Pray with me. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have spoken, that you have spoken clearly and wonderfully, and that your spirit is active and at work to impress these things upon our hearts. Lord, I pray 
than in this time that we would know the enduring power of the Word of God as we spend time in it this morning for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I, I think about this question coming to Jesus, and I think about it in, in terms often of the way a student would speak to a professor in the midst of a class. The professor's been unpacking tons and tons and tons of material in that class, and that hand goes up in the back of the classroom, and the student who always wants to know, is this going to be on the test? You know, the professor who is, is seeking to share and to impart knowledge, to increase learning, to equip these students uh, for what's coming ahead in their lives, sharing additional knowledge and, and supplementary uh, information And to hear that question, is this going to be on the test? What the student's asking is, do I really need to listen or can I put my pencil down and daydream for a few minutes? Or like the tax code. We think about all the regulations and laws and we say, I I can't keep all these. There's no way. Matter of fact, they sometimes contradict. How, How do I do this? Really, really, which ones are the most important? Which ones do I need to keep? Well, what's really wonderful about this particular scribe is I don't think his motive was quite uh, uh, so negative. Uh, He seems to be pretty wise. Jesus, uh, matter of fact, notices the wisdom of the way this young man answers. But we so often are are, are struck with this idea of, of what do I need to do? What, what's required of me? What is the, the summation of it? Can you just simplify all of this? Can it be made easy so that I can do it right? Well, let me begin by answering that question. Can the law of God be made easy so that you can do it right? No. No matter how simple we make the law of God, as Jesus does, two commandments. These two commandments I give you... This is the sum of all the law and the prophets. Yes, it is simple. It's straightforward. But you know what? We can't do it. We can't. Apart from God's Spirit doing it through us. This is what Philippians 2 says. For it is God who is at work in you to will and to do according to His good pleasure. That even our obedience is God working through us to His own glory. So we we ask this question to understand your law, Lord. Can can you can you summarize it? And he does. We think about the two tables of the law, the the law that Colin read to us earlier today from uh, from Exodus chapter twenty, finding also in Deuteronomy chapter five. The two tables deal vertically with our relationship with God and horizontally our relationship with one another. And that's what Jesus does here and the parallel account in Matthew chapter 22 where He speaks about these two great commandments. Well, the Pharisees and the scribes um, at this point were probably pretty happy that, that Jesus just last week, just last week we studied it, just, just previously in this whole discussion, He had defended the resurrection in the presence of the Sadducees. Remember, that was a big, uh, a big argument between the Pharisees and the Sadducees of the day. The Pharisees believed in the resurrection, the biblical promise of eternity. The Sadducees really rejected all that was supernatural. Jesus spoke about heaven as we looked at last week and spoke about it as a reality 
spoke about it, about the, this is uh, the, uh, the word of God has always been given, that God is a God of the living. And in, and in God's goodness, we shall live forever. And so now this scribe comes up and is, and is trying to, matter of fact, he's been put up to it. The parallel account uh, says that he has been sent to Jesus to put him to the test. The scribe, after he's hearing about the, uh, the promise of God, the promise of eternity, he says, well, just tell me this, which of the commandments is the first? Not number one, but the first in priority. Now, the rabbis in that time, the teachers of the law, they were masters in hair splitting. Legalism, debating endlessly about the commandments. As they, as they counted them that day, there were some 613 commandments that you were to keep. Not just the ten, but where you would take and subdivide them in many different ways. Many different commandments about the Sabbath. Many different commandments about the words we use, the way that we eat. All of these types of things. 613 different commandments. And what this man is asking, which of these are light, can be done away with? Which of these are heavy, do I need to really pay attention to? And of those 613, there were actually 248 that were positive. You shall do this. And there are 365 negative, basically one for every day, things you shouldn't do. And so this scribe comes and asks Jesus, what's the most important one? Let's start there. What's the most important? Well, now there's there's two tendencies that we have, two wrong tendencies that we have when it comes to reading God's Word and looking to let it have its refining power on our lives, that we would be changed, that we would be transformed more and more into the image of Jesus. Two basic tendencies. One is over-analysis. Over-analysis in this way, that we would divide it into infinite hair-splitting matters, looking to get down into the nitty-gritty. And we think about Matthew chapter 23. Jesus looks at the scribes and the Pharisees, and He speaks to them in this way. He says, Woe to you, you scribes and you Pharisees, you're hypocrites. For you take your mint and your dill and your cumin and you tithe on your spices, taking 10% of the, the, the small amounts of spice, He's saying. But you have neglected the weightier matters of the law to do justly, to love mercy, to walk in faith. And says, you should have practiced all of those without neglecting any of them. He says, you blind guides. What you're doing is you strain out a gnat, but in doing so you swallow a camel. Isn't that an amazing thing? You you think that by tithing out the little bitty details, what you do is you miss the big picture of doing things justly, being merciful to others, walking in faith before God. Now, What they had was an assumed righteousness that was based on a meticulous outward observance without the inward reality. A meticulous outward observance without an inward reality. I think about a TV commercial. Uh, Some of these things are are pretty fascinating, what they, they claim these products can do. And I remember one particular product. It was a super cleaner. And the way the guy, you know, fast-talking and, and slick and polished when he got there, the way that he was selling the super cleaner was this. He went into a junkyard and he found an old clunker and he took this stuff and he put it on a rag and he rubbed it and all of a sudden this, this old clunker is just gleaming and shiny and, and beautiful there in the junkyard. He says, just look at it shine. Every inch of it shining from bumper to bumper. My question is, yeah, but now will it start? No. No, that, that clunker in the junker has no engine. Inside, it's all corrosion and rust. There's probably a rat's nest living in it. 
The outside shines, but none of that shining will make the car run. And so very often we think we can add meticulous observance of particular laws. That law might be, uh, I'll tell you what, I'm going to tithe. I'm going to give my 10% of every penny. Matter of fact, and I'm so much holier than those who don't. Matter of fact, I have it on good authority at the moment. So they're only giving 9.94%. <coughs> By the way, I reckon it. We may say, well, I've got a perfect attendance in Sunday school ever since I was three years old as opposed to those folks that just come whenever they feel like it. We tend to, to impose upon others that which we like to brag about in ourselves. We shine the outside, but we deal no, do nothing with the missing engine, the corrosion, and the rat's nest on the inside. That's the, the first tendency is that we would uh, overanalyze and start looking at, at meticulous little bitty points and thinking, you know what, uh, I, I'm going to read only this particular version of the Bible. Had folks confront me on, on the, the version of the Bible that I was reading because it was not the 1611 King James Version, right? The version that Paul read. <laughs> uh, a righteousness that's based upon uh, some over-division and, and seeking to, to paint on themselves a righteousness. That's the first tendency. The second tendency would be this, that we would oversimplify. We would say something like, well, can't we just all love Jesus and just be done with it? Can't we just all love Jesus and just get along? Now, understand this, it is not hair splitting to study carefully all that God has spoken. To, to, to know and want to know God more, to read the Bible from cover to cover, to cherish it, to learn from it, all the way from Genesis back to the maps, to read through God's Word, to know it, to love it, uh, to be changed by it. Instead of saying that, that, that I'm going to overanalyze and seek to apply every little meticulous thing to my life in a way of making myself holy, there's a bad tendency of saying, you know what, all we have to do is say we love Jesus and then we're, we're good, right? It's not an over-analysis, it's an oversimplification. It's the idea that, that there is importance to knowing who God is and all that He said. We must not seek simplicity in our lives simply by ignoring a lot of what God has said. God wouldn't have said it if it wasn't important. In Jesus' own words in Matthew chapter 5, He says, Don't think that I've come to abolish the law. Don't think that I've come to abolish the prophets. I've not come to abolish but to fulfill these things. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth passes away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until it is all accomplished. He's saying all of what God says is important. It is. And so we, we come to a misunderstanding a misunderstanding that comes here. We, we think about the, the words quoted. Uh, the words quoted, uh, Jesus here, um, he, he, he brings up the, the first and greatest commandment. He says, the first is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. What he's doing is he's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. That's what he's quoting. This is called the Shema. We refer to it as like the Jewish call to worship. It comes from the word listen. Hear, O Israel, Shema Yisrael. Hear, O Israel, there is but one God and He is alone God. And He alone shall have the affection of your heart. 
And the text goes on in Deuteronomy. It says, keep these words that I'm commanding you today in your heart. Recite them to your children. Talk about them when you're at home. Talk about them when you're away. When you lie down, when you rise up, bind them as a sign on your hand. Fix them as an emblem on your forehead. Write them on the doorpost of your house. He's saying these things. He says, when you're at home, when you're away, when you lie down, when you rise up, these words are to be with you. This is to be your life. Love the Lord with all that you are. Now here's the misunderstanding. Because many in that day would have thought, well, I'm, I'm applying this. I'm doing that. I am writing them on the doorpost of my house. I am binding them on my hands. There was a practice of phylacteries and the mezuzah. The phylacteries were, were these bands that would be wrapped around the arms and around the head uh, upon which would be written uh, the Word of God. And they thought, well, by wrapping it, by wrapping it, by outwardly observing this, doing this meticulously, I'm, I'm good with God. And the, the mezuzah, that would have been a rectangular piece of parchment upon which would be written the Shema, and it would be enclosed in a small little case and attached uh, to the right-hand side of the doorpost of the house. So I'm literally attaching God's Word to the doorpost of the house. I'm wrapping it around my body, so I am obeying it, right? And Jesus is saying, you're missing it. You're missing it. He said, here's the sum of it. Here's the sum of the law. Here's where we we bring it all to a point. Here's where we come this morning in in worship and coming to the table. We, We find it all summed up in one word. We find it in the greatest of the commandments, the first of the commandments. We find it in the one who is like unto it. What is it? It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You shall love the Lord your God. Love God. The second is what? Love your neighbor as yourself. It's simple. And so impossible. Love God. Love is the leading affection of the soul. We don't wrap love around our arms. We don't wrap it around our heads. We we don't codify it in a thousand practices saying that if you do all these things, then you truly love God. It's saying that if you truly love God, then every decision that you make, every step that you take would be with a desire that His glory, His glory would be seen. It starts with love. It starts with the heart. Out of the overflow of your heart, you speak and you live. Jesus goes into great and excruciating detail to says, it's not what you take into your body that corrupts you. It's, it's what's there. It's what comes out of a man. It's come, what's in our heart. We have to start with the inside. You know what? I'd be so much more content to, when you think about that salesman uh, shining up the car in the junkyard, I'd be so much more content that that salesman would put a new engine in that vehicle. That, that he would clean up the transmission and the axles and the tires and all of that. And I don't care if it's falling apart on the outside. I don't care if it looks like an old clunker. I'm concerned about will it run. In the same way that We need to be so very, very concerned not about the clothes that we wear, not about the the meticulous way that we do certain religious practices, but that our hearts are right before God, that we would love the Lord with all that we are. The one word that sums up the law is love, and the one eternal object of that love is God. Note all the absolutes of it. He says you are to love the Lord your God with all of your heart with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. 
I, I think about that in our conversation when we talk with people, when people are, are having difficulties in the relationship. Husbands and wives come and say, she never listens to me. I say, never? She has never, ever listened to you. He never says anything nice. Really, he has never, ever. Absolutes are difficult words. Absolutes are, are those words we say, certainly you can find an exception. Well, you need to see what the Lord has called us to here is this, that there be no exception, that there be no withholding of our lives from God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. Think about all that encompasses the heart, the cardia, the center of the seat of your physical and spiritual life. The fact that your heart is pumping today, every beat of your heart ought to be for the glory of God. Your soul, that vital source that makes you you before God. That, that, that's, that force that, that's within us because we have life breathed into us by Almighty God. Your mind, that is your thoughts, your understanding, your disposition, the way that you think through things, that our minds would be transformed, we read about in Romans chapter 12, that that would be committed to God and your strength. It's kind of interesting if you go back and, and, and look at this passage from the Old Testament in the Septuagint, which would have been the Greek translation that Jesus and, and folks in his day would have had before them, uh, the word there was dunamis, where we get the word dynamite. The power that you have. Whatever you have the power to do today, let it be to God's glory. The one object of our lives as we pour out that love is to be God, to, to be focused on God. The life of the follower of Christ cannot be partially committed to Him. We're called to surrender entirely. I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price. I've not been leased or timeshared. I've not been borrowed for a time. I have been purchased in Jesus Christ. The life which I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. The sum of the law is indeed love. The great eternal object of that love is to be amazingly and eternally God. But he goes on to say there is one uh, present and active extension of that love. We love God. A reflection of that is to be a love for neighbors. Jesus quotes Leviticus 19 here. He's quoted Deuteronomy before. Now he's quoting Leviticus 19. He says, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And he tags on one more statement to that. He says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. He's giving the authority by which that is is made, but also the power by which that is made. He says, as we love the Lord, we're going to love our neighbors. That is a true and a right extension of this love of God, that we would love one another. We cannot say, John tells us, that we love God if we hate our neighbor. And keep in mind, we don't, we're not given the privilege or the, uh, the benefit of being able to, to partition out who is our neighbor and who is not. The parable of the Good Samaritan talks about that. That all those that God brings in our path, these are our neighbors. Jesus asked the scribe, what do you think? He asked you this morning, what do you think? Do you agree? The, uh, the scribe says, right. Now, that's an interesting translation. Uh, he, uh, the, the word there, quite literally, is uh, a word meaning excellent. Beautiful. That's amazing. 
He is impressed with Jesus. He enthusiastically affirms all that Jesus has said. And Jesus says, good. He says, you're not far from the kingdom of God. Wow. We have to pause then and think, Jesus, what do you mean? What do you mean he's not far? It sounds like he's got it. Sounds like he's, he's nailed the answer. Well, well let's look at what he, what he says there. He says, you're right, teacher. You have truly said, and he speaks about this. He says, I, I know this is true. So what does Jesus mean? Simply put, to know the truth is not the same as to possess it. To know the truth is not the same to possess it or even more to be possessed by it. Jesus has enumerated our faculties as he's, as he's written this, that we're to love the Lord God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. Sure, he knows these things, but with all of our strength. That it was this idea that, that our faculties, all of them, we must completely know the truth, believe the truth, trust the truth, love the truth, and live in the truth. This is what it means to be in the kingdom of God. Not simply for us to gather around here and say, you know what, Pastor? You're absolutely right. I agree with you. So let's all walk out these doors in perfect agreement. Now, as we go forth, let us not go forth just in agreement. Let's go forth in unison. Let us go forth singing uh, the harmony of the spheres. Let us go forth singing uh, the great praise of eternity, saying that this is the love which God has shown for me and the love which I will show for Him and will show for others. We cannot actually love this way, my friends. We can't love this way. We can't give it all that we are unless Jesus Christ is our Savior, unless He is our Lord. Unless we recognize that the only way that I stand righteous before God is that Jesus has paid for my sins. And the life which I live, I can't just take Jesus as my Savior, but I have to live knowing He is my Lord. There was a, a, a bit of theology that surfaced uh, within the past 50 years, in particular, is dealing with lordship theology. Or this idea that Jesus can somehow be bifurcated. Jesus can be divided in some way. That there's a time when people accept Jesus as Savior and then later in their life they would accept Jesus as Lord. And I hear people, even people who, who love the Lord, saying that, well, I accepted Him as my Savior on such and such a date and I accepted Him as my Lord on another such and such a date. And I am thankful that they have at that point said, He is my Lord and Savior. Praise God. And I, I don't want to call that into question. But I do call into question is their understanding of what's happened in their life. Know this, Jesus is not your Savior if He's not your Lord. That Jesus has paid for your life if you are in Christ. And, and we can't say, thank you Jesus, now I'm going to go on and do my thing. That we are called upon to acknowledge that Jesus Christ, in, in paying for our sins, has, has set us free in His power to do the things which bring glory to God. And that's the wondrous thing about the Lordship of Jesus, is that it empowers us to do that which is right and gives us a joy, an understanding, and a desire to do those things. It's not that now we've got to do things and saying, oh, I've got to go do this now because I'm a Christian and God will be mad with me if I don't. That's not the life that we've been called to live. That as we love the Lord with all that we are, we love our neighbors as self. This is a joyful expression of the relationship that we have with God. So this man says, Jesus, what's the most important commandment? He says, don't hold anything back in your love for God. And in doing so, and in doing so, you won't hold anything back in your love for others. For it is Christ who is at work in you. 
It's the Spirit of God that's at work in you to will and to do according to God's good pleasure. As we come to the table this morning, I, I want to ask you to examine your heart. Two questions. Just this morning, this past week, this past year, or my life to this day, how have I held back in loving the Lord with all that I am? How have I held back in loving my neighbor as myself? We confess that before God and we leave nourished and strengthened for the privilege of serving, of loving, of praising God without holding one shred back to live the rest of our lives fully to His glory. Amen? Pray with me. Lord God, as we come to this table, I pray that You would show us, Father, where we have held back. And Lord, in doing so, that You would lift our eyes to the heavens, that we would know in our hearts that those things which we have selfishly clung to, that selfishness has been forgiven at the foot of the cross, paid for in full by our Savior Jesus. Lord, may we be nourished to love today. Lord, we praise You that You do simplify that we would understand, Lord God, but also that You empower that we are, we are able, we can do these things because of the one who is at work in us. Not the labors of my hands, but the work of the Spirit in me. Oh, for these things we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.